When the heavens went on sale, you're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Over the past eight years, more than $260 billion in venture capital has been invested in the commercial space sector. Author and journalist Ashley Vance says this commercial boom was led by private companies like SpaceX, Planet Labs, and Rocket Lab, and shows no sign of slowing down. We'll speak with Vance about his new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale, the Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. And we'll check in with John Schaffner, pilot for the upcoming private mission to the International Space Station, just days before his launch. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. Journalist and author Ashley Vance wrote the 2015 New York Times bestselling biography of Elon Musk. He's back with a new book, taking a look at the changing landscape of commercial space. We'll hear from Vance about this new book and new chapter in commercial space. But first, let's check in with John Schaffner. He's the pilot of the upcoming AX2 mission, the second private mission to the ISS with Houston-based company Axiom. I spoke with Schaffner last week as he entered a mandatory two-week quarantine ahead of his launch. Well, we're outside of, uh, you know, in between Orlando and the Cape, you know, sequestered in a nice little villa, the, the crew and, you know, lots of people taking care of us, um, you know, arrived a couple of days ago, I guess. So nothing really relaxing about it. We were, we're hard at work, actually. Yeah. Tell me about some of the things that, that um, you have to do in these, in these final moments. I know, you know, last we talked, you were kind of wrapping up your training and just kind of waiting for the launch date, but now... Everything's kind of ramping up again, isn't it? Um, you know, what are some of the things that, that you're doing? And more importantly, what are some of the things you're thinking about? I mean, you're about to leave the planet. Oh, man. <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff there. Um, well, we, we, we do a, a number of things here. You know, mainly, you know, it's, it's a chance for the crew to get together and, and work on final details as a crew. Uh, previously, we've trained in groups or different segments with each other, but... We're working on final refresher training, either ISS training, things that uh, NASA wants us to know and understand to catch up on and review. Uh, SpaceX, Peggy and I are working on some approach and docking scenarios, just reviewing contingencies. And, and those are the, the operational parts. Um, and also, in uh, a big, big part of this is starting to look at our actual on-orbit events and our timelines, our activities, the science reviewing procedures that we have to execute to perform the science, reviewing the schedules for some of the events. I'm doing a lot of STEM activities, so confirming that the schools have uh, correct audio-video connections you know, for the, from the technical side. There's a lot going on just preparing for this, more than I would have imagined, sure. Mm-hmm. And how about mentally, John? How are you getting in in the headspace of, of getting ready to do this mission that you've thought about as, as we've talked uh, since a kid, since you were a kid. Yeah, I have. I have. Uh, yeah. Thank you. The, uh, you know, I've thought about this for a long, long time, you know, since I was eight. So now imagining that it's 12 days away is, is very interesting. You know, we came here after a couple of years of training and now looking down the, the pipe at just less than two weeks. So, uh, it, it seems like there's more to do than there is time left, but I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up to ourselves here. 
you know, you come in, it's the swirl of getting settled, getting used to new environments and staying confined. But yeah, we're today was better than yesterday. Uh, a little more clarity on our schedule and, and events, but it's, it, it's an interesting process. I imagine all astronauts and crews go through this. So I'm, I'm at home in that knowledge <laughs> that I'm doing, I'm doing what everybody does in these cases. That was John Schaffner, pilot of the upcoming AX-2 mission. His mission is set to launch no earlier than Sunday. In the next decade, the number of satellites zooming over our head will reach 100,000. It's a sign of a growing commercial space sector that's garnered more than $280 billion in venture capital in only eight years. So what's driving the investment, and who are the players? That's the subject of author and journalist Ashley Vance's new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. Ashley Vance joins us now to talk about this changing sector in commercial space and his new book. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So the new book is When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. Um, this is coming a few years after uh, a phenomenal book you wrote, um, Elon Musk, that, that profiled um, the founder of SpaceX. What was the motivation for for this new book, Ashley? It, it kind of came out of the, <laughs> the last one in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I wrote this biography on Elon and, and had to cover all of his his companies and his life but the the thing that really was my favorite to report on was spacex and really the early days of spacex it was quite an adventure of these these 20 somethings trying to rethink the the rocket industry and right as i finished that book i i just i could see spacex had been this inciting incident around the world where a lot of people were thinking, gosh, you know, maybe commercial space is real and all these startups sprung up. There's people don't know this, but there's dozens of rocket companies around the world. There's hundreds of new satellite companies. And I started digging in and reporting. And then I just, I found again, another set of larger than life characters and, and stranger than fiction stories in this new world. You know, this this phrase is often overused in this industry, but, you know, space is hard, right? Um, it's really difficult to, to build a rocket and get it to leave this planet. Um, do you have to be kind of a larger than life personality to take on a challenge of starting a rocket company? I mean, it, it sounds absolutely wild to, to think that someone can do that when it is so difficult. Space, space absolutely remains hard, um, and you know it, it, it is one of the more difficult things you can do. And and I do think you need to be um, at the moment a pretty driven character. Although, you know, an example of how far, how much things have changed in my book. One of the main characters is this guy named Peter Beck, and he actually comes from New Zealand. He is a self-taught engineer. He he was working as a at a dishwasher company as his first job. He never went to college and he was doing rocketry as a hobby. Um, he's an exceptional engineer, but he was making his own propellants, his own engines in a shed outside of his, his house in New Zealand. And he's turned his company Rocket Lab and it's taken a while, but they are now basically the second coming of, of SpaceX. They've launched dozens and dozens of rockets. And, and so it shows you, yes, Peter's like this exceptional 
figure, but something like that would not have at all been possible 20, 30 years ago. And and so it, it's a new era where all kinds of things um, can be achieved around around the world now. Mm-hmm. What's driving that new era? Well, money um, and ambition. Of course. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the this, this space industry really got stuck for, for decades. We, we had this amazing era with Apollo and all this excitement. And then we kind of locked in the rockets and the satellites and nobody wanted to change things because they didn't want to mess up. And then I think SpaceX came along. It was such a shock to the system that that it really did open up people's minds and their, their wallets. I mean, we've moved from government-backed stuff to billionaire-backed stuff. And now all the companies I write about are funded by investors, venture capitalists, and, and and this is like not a nation state type thing anymore. And so, you know, I think commercial space has had a bunch of false starts over the last couple decades, but then I, I think we got to this point where everyone decided we could really make a go of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, was it was it SpaceX's public display of their development that kind of spurred this that that gave investors a sense that hey it's okay to put money in here or or for other companies like peter beck's um rocket labs to come on and say you know it's okay to fail and i I guess the the long and short of the, the question i'm asking is you know how much of this is because of spacex's development and what we know about how they develop their you know their falcon 1 and the falcon 9 and and now starship I think a lot of it because because you had to have someone like Elon who he had the double whammy, right? So other rich people had tried to make rockets and they'd gotten okay, decently far, but not not seen it all the way through. Elon had his own money, then he had this this success, and so this let people know, yes, this is possible. But then a, a huge chunk of this is just the modernization of of technology. I mean, traditional aerospace really had been stuck. They Nobody wanted to be the person that blew up a rocket because they changed some component on it, trying to modernize it. And and to your point, SpaceX and, and these other companies that have followed, obviously they're dealing mostly with satellites instead of humans, are willing to take more risks. And as a as a result, they've they've applied modern electronics, modern materials to these these machines to help bring the cost down, make them better. And and this now is is the future. Mm-hmm. Ashley, in the book, um, you spend quite a bit of time um, at another private company's uh, facility, Astra. Can you just briefly tell us a bit about about their story and, and what you learned about how that group is is developing its rockets? Yeah, Astra is based in Northern California. It was really exactly what I wanted to do where I had a chance to be at this company from the moment it started when it was it went from a garage <laughs> to getting their first factory and they are the most extreme end of where this is this stuff is heading. Uh, you know, a, a typical space program that's run by a nation state, they're lucky if they launch their large rocket that costs $200 million once a month. And what Astra's trying to do is bring almost like the Henry Ford um, ethos to to rocket building. So they're trying to make a rocket every day at their factory to launch one every day and have this rocket cost just a few million dollars and be 
almost the the FedEx of space. It's, this is just a rocket where on a moment's notice, you want to put a satellite into orbit. You just go on a website, slap in a credit card, and, and you order it. And that that's like, that's wild <laughs> to me. It right? is, yeah, this, this is a new reality. <laughs> the on-demand rockets. But I, there's there's obviously a market for this, right? I mean, who who is buying something like this and, and and do you get the sense that that there is sustainability in this over the decades? I mean, or are we going to get to a point where there's just, you know, there's enough stuff up there. We don't need to keep sending anything else up there. Yeah, I, I don't think most people are aware of this because they get fixated on space tourism or, or these missions to the moon or Mars. But it, it, as far as enough stuff, we're, <laughs> we have about... Like in 2020, we had 2,500 satellites in orbit. We've already doubled it. And that was, you know, that's from 1960 to 2020. We put up 2,500. We've doubled that number um, over the last couple of years to 5,000. And we are, this is not theoretical. We are very much on our way to putting up 100,000 satellites in the next 10 years. And, And this is not... Maybe will this this happen? This is definitely happening. SpaceX with their Starlink space internet system, they're putting up over ten thousand satellites. Amazon is about to put up over ten thousand satellites. China, another company called OneWeb. Um, there's imaging satellites; they're going up by the hundreds. It, you know, is it sustainable? This is the the multi-trillion-dollar question. Everyone thinks. There's big business to be had up there, and they're going to make a go of this. We just don't know if, if all the business cases check out on this. Mm-hmm. Actually, you also talked um, or, or write in the book about another company, Firefly, as you mentioned, imaging satellites like uh, companies like Planet Labs. Um, you know, I, I haven't reported on on many of these, but there is one company that's in our backyard. Um, Relativity Space, and I've had the chance to check out their launch facility and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if 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 you have noticed in in these companies, you know, is is there a through line? Is is there something that that connects all of them together? Is there there's some sort of trait that these companies all share that they're doing this almost impossible of of launching things off of this planet? What makes them all? Everyone seems to to share, of course, kind of this love of space and interest in it. But it, it's it's interesting because each one has their their unique tact, <laughs> you know, and their, their special sort of thing that they're trying to do. You mentioned relativity; they've been most famous for for trying to three D print most of a rocket and and stop it from being this this kind of handmade um, special object that takes a long time. To build Planet Labs, the the satellite company, it was founded by a group of like space hippies that wanted to to monitor what was happening with the rainforest and movements of refugees and kind of the health of the Earth. I think we're turning a corner now. This is why I called the book "When the Heavens Went on Sale," where where it is becoming business, and so some of this, you know, idealism and and love of space yes it's there but there's also now just pure capitalist pure industrialists that see an opportunity and and want to find their niche in this world mm-hmm. space hippies I, I love that <laughs> <laughs> wait till you read about them they all live in a in a commune together in silicon valley um Although they're now they're now multimillionaires yeah, so. <laughs> it worked yeah whatever they did worked <laughs> and I mean I, I you know I think that 
we kind of take that stuff for granted now. I mean, I remember, you know, seeing images from space on, you know, the Soyuz canal blockage, you know, and that was from these satellites that that were quickly deployed in orbit. Like we're, we're so used to having these um, these abilities um, and that happened rather quickly. Right. I mean, it, like on demand satellite imaging is, is something that's that's really new. Yeah, I, you know, Planet Labs was founded, I think, in 2012, and really invented this field. They were the first ones to to say, we don't have to make one large satellite that can only look at a, wherever it's being pointed. We can we can create hundreds of satellites, put them around the Earth. They they're arranged in a pattern that's kind of like a line scanner, so the the Earth is just rotating underneath these things and being photographed everywhere all the time and. It used to be the governments owned most of those imaging satellites, and of course they, you know, took the images first and they doled out the ones they felt like sharing with the world, and they would often put their spin on the image. and And now Planet is a service that you and I can we can log onto their website and see the stuff ourselves. Companies can buy, anyone can buy their images, and so there's this democratization going on. The these these handful of nations that used to control all of this stuff have, have very, very quickly ceded power to these commercial entities. We're speaking with author and journalist Ashley Vance. Our conversation continues after the break. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. I'm Brendan Byrne. We're speaking with author and journalist Ashley Vance about his new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. The book is out now, and our conversation continues. You mentioned that, I mean, hundreds of thousands of of satellites are going to be placed in orbit. That's what's driving this industry. Um, But there are some serious concerns about the overutilization of space or uh, the sustainable usage of space. Um, are, are any of these concerns on the minds of these people that are, are developing the ability to get all of this stuff into space? You know, what do they see as, as kind of the environmental future of, of low Earth orbit? Yeah, I mean, look, you can think of this as, as new territory to be conquered. We kind of know what humans tend to do when that opportunity arises, which is which is charge in as fast as you can and grab grab what you can. And that's kind of what's happening now. Um, there are everyone is pretty concerned because if you're one of these satellite companies rushing up there, the worst case scenario for you is still that some satellite hits another one and creates some debris field that makes all this impossible anyway. Um, so you know, these are smart people trying to manage this. Can we do it really effectively as we go from 5,000 satellites to 100,000? The honest answer is nobody knows. There are now startups taking over these jobs that used to be done by federal agencies that aren't quite keeping up where they have built their own antenna systems. One's called Leo Labs. They are tracking every object in space. They're helping these satellites coordinate their their movements um, to dodge each other. But I think this is this is part of what I wanted to write about in the book was to make people 
aware early on of what's what's happening and and just just know that things are about to get quite chaotic <laughs> and and what should our concern be i mean like if things are going to get chaotic up there well that's fine i don't own any satellites <laughs> i have no assets up there um why should we be concerned about this i mean i think for the moment this is fundamentally an optimistic story i think we're going to have better communication systems than ever before we're going to analyze and, and see our planet in ways we never could have before but people should know there's things we already depend on that, that are up there you know if you think about gps in particular i mean it's something we totally take for granted but this is like this modern glue that makes our smartphones really work and and all kinds of transportation systems and and these satellites are in the same area right if, if there's a, a, a debris field um with these new ones it's going to affect the the infrastructure we have already put in place and and it seems like this is an industry that is that is you know building there's more and more money is being invested into it is there a concern that there is going to be an issue with recruiting people to do this kind of work the the rocket engineers the the highly skilled manufacturers that you need to put rocket parts together and satellites together i mean what is, what is the future of you know the human capital look like for this industry yeah i think to some degree although we think we have this image of space as being everything we've ever been fed in movies or, or books is, is it's our best and brightest and you got to be an MIT engineer to work in this field. But that's, you know, that's definitely not the case now. I mean, I ran into so many people that were high school dropouts, college dropouts. They were uh, welders from Texas or, or, you know, from the military, um, kind of 25 year olds coming out and, and looking for work and, and, as this has become more like a business, um, yes, there's still rocket science to it, and there's usually a MIT PhD or two around, but um, much of this now is is just like regular industry. And so, especially in the United States, we have so much talent that, that's been looking for a lot of stuff to do. And so, you know, there have been thousands of SpaceX employees, tens of thousands of people now and and so i largely see this as an opportunity particularly for america which you know our space program was was heading in a very 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 bad direction and and now is is kind of the envy of the world when it comes to commercial space by by a huge margin mm -hmm. uh actually part of the book's title is the misfits and geniuses racing to put space and reach and you know I, I hear a lot, especially here in Florida, about commercial space. We have later this month, the, the second Axiom mission is launching with, with a private crew. Um, and, and you talk to these people that are in the industry and say, you know, um, you're next. You know, soon we're going to be living and working in space thanks to, you know, these commercial companies. Um, is that really in our near future here? Is space within reach for you know the average american let's say in terms of tourism um or like a space habitat it's within reach but i would say not in the short term even you know blue origin and virgin galactics they 
fired up their tourist flights where you get to go for about six minutes and, and it was exciting there for a second and then they both had trouble with both both of their spacecraft and and slowed down and are just about to start flying again it's that was very much still the province of quite wealthy people and and it's like unclear at all how big that market is we do have we have a number of startups now that are making these space habitats though and and once again i mean we are going to find out uh, we got the rockets to do this now they're cheap enough for these startups to take a chance at these businesses so we're we're absolutely going to find out i think for the average person just like any industry this is going to take time for the cost to come down to some reasonable level mm-hmm and finally, Ashley, I, I want to ask you, um, and I know this isn't the topic of the book, but but you have such an intimate knowledge with um, Elon and SpaceX. Uh, they had the recent uh, orbital test flight attempt of Starship. Um, it didn't make it to orbit, but SpaceX is calling it quite a success that it even got off the ground. Where is SpaceX in terms of getting Starship to where it needs to be? Um, and Elon's ultimate goal of of colonizing mars or putting people on mars you know if you <laughs> elon has his own time scale i mean he's already talking about uh they're gonna fly again in, in two months it would be quite quite something if if that happened uh, but you know i was texting with elon right after starship blew up I, I i this is not like propaganda or spin i mean you know with a first rocket nobody's ever flown a first rocket successfully uh, on the first attempt to get four minutes out of that incredible machine was was actually pretty good i mean elon's telling me he thinks they will make it to orbit on the the next attempt and and if starship's successful you know it takes the cost of getting stuff to space down so dramatically that all this stuff that i've been writing about and telling you about just increases <laughs> you know by about a thousand fold in terms of of, of how much stuff we could put in space at, at a dramatically lower price and and so it would open up a new era i think everyone's just sitting there waiting to see if this weird looking thing could actually do what's promised but spacex if you know, if anyone's going to do it, it's them. They they have an incredible track record. Yeah, doing doing this job for ten years, I've learned to never doubt SpaceX and and what Elon says. It, it will happen, just just maybe not when he says it will, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. You know, out of all his companies, you would have thought SpaceX was like the riskiest, least likely to succeed, <laughs> and somehow it's like the most stable, doing laps around the competition. It's it's a you know, and, and give credit to Elon, but I mean, they have thousands of of just some of the world's most smartest and most ambitious engineers over there uh we've been speaking with ashley vance his new book is when the heavens went on sale the misfits and geniuses racing to put space within reach uh ashley thank you so much for joining us thank you i appreciate it that was author and journalist ashley vance his new book when the heavens went on sale the misfits and geniuses racing to put space within reach is out now well that's going to do it for this week's show Next week, we'll take a visit to the Daytona Beach Museum of Art and Science, where a new exhibit highlighting the observations of the Webb Space Telescope is set to open. We'll hear about art and science of deep space images. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribe on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got more space coverage online. Visit wmfe.org space. Are We There Yet is a production of 90.7 WMFE News with editorial guidance from LaToya Dennis. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.